Hola, hello, hi, bienvenido, and welcome back or welcome to Mentors Today. Today, I'm super excited to have this conversation with my friend Juliana Garazir, conversation that we usually just have offline, frankly, or in our DMs, or when she's visited here in LA and we wander around for the day. Uh, but today, we're going to bring this conversation to our audience because she's just one of the most interesting, kind, smart, involved, engaged people that I know in the in the broader entrepreneurial economy. And so just like I always do with our with our podcast, I love to share the cool people that I know with all of you in our audience. So today we get to share that with Juliana. Juliana is an active angel investor, a Kaufman fellow, a leader within the global movement to involve more women in the venture and private capital markets. And she's presently the chief development investment officer um, and, and head of the clean tech incubator, Greentown Labs in Houston, Texas, in its Houston location. Juliana's career and her life story is incredible. Her career journey has literally spanned the globe. Um, she's held significant roles in places as diverse as leading as the lead investor of the Rising America Fund within Portfolio. Um, she's a board member of the Angel Capital Association. She was a leader at the Texas Medical Center Venture Fund, the Houston Angel Network, and she began her career far, far away from here um, as an international trade consultant and project manager for Citigroup in Singapore. Um, she's from Spain. We met in Chihuahua, Mexico, and she now lives and is coming to us today from Houston, Texas. She has an incredible academic background as well. She studied the London Business School, the Haas School of Business at UC Berkeley, Go Bears, specializing in entrepreneurship and, and has a bachelor's degree in finance from the University of Deusto. 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 Okay, I was pretty close. Um, and most importantly, because I, I always love to remind people that we are not our resumes, uh, is that she's really an incredible mom, a, a wonderful woman, and a partner to her two kids, her her terrific husband, and all of us, her friends. Um, so, Juliana, welcome to the podcast, finally. Oh, thank you. I've been I've been waiting for a while to to make that those conversations happen live. You know, uh, every time I talk to you, I feel like walking because we we do most right. of our uh, you know great talking and and convening uh, while we walk because we we both love that. We do, but you know, I'll, I'll try to keep on on one place in one place. I, right now. <laughs> I, I, I haven't I haven't quite figured out how to how to record really high quality podcasts while I'm on a walk. So if I fig <laughs> if I figure that out, watch out. That's going to be the. I, I know, I know. It could be like the carpool karaoke, but right? you know. I'm telling you. Now you're now you're now you're putting ideas in my head. Here, this is well, I always have the the best ideas with you. So. You do. This is awesome. We could have recorded a whole podcast on our tour of of uh, Griffith Park with your family yeah. that day. Totally. All right, so so let's take people back to we met because it's a it's a cool origin story and. If people have listened to our show in the past, they will have heard this same story in a different episode with another friend of mine. So you and I first met in, of all places, uh, Chihuahua um, in northern Mexico back in 2018. And honestly, it was just by the serendipity of us getting seated at the same table or deciding to sit at the same table for dinner after an event in which we had been around each other, kind of watching each other, collaborating with each other for a few days, helping kind of inspire and inform the entrepreneurial economy there in Chihuahua. So that in and of itself is an awesome story. For the listeners who know, Jeff Potvin from Toronto was the other person who was at that table with us. Jeff's, Jeff's been a guest on this show uh, previously. And, and then I actually just had the good fortune to record a, a show with Jeff for his community um, not too long ago. So 
it was just this weird serendipitous, like this big, loud, energetic American, this crazy, passionate Spaniard via Texas, and then this this quiet but really, really smart engineer from from Canada. And and as I like to say, we met that night. We met those couple of days kind of in passing, and we've been friends ever since. Um, serendipity is, is something that is a constant in my life, you know, these very random events that I was not even supposed to be at around a big pig. <laughs> right. That was my first, uh, you know, the, the pitch at, at the grill event. Yeah. And you end up making friendships forever. And they always happen when, when you're at a, an inflection point in your life. And that was when I, I stopped one of, of, of my careers and, and begun another one. And that's, I guess, when you have the most meaningful connections and you are at your most vulnerable. So That's an awesome way to put it. You, you remember these connections forever when they happened uh, at, those, at those points in your life. See, no, 100%. So that's, a, that's actually a great segue to what I was going to ask you is talk to us a little bit about you, you've had an incredible First of all, you're a very grateful person. So you have, you have you live in gratitude for your life, and you have great context on on all your experiences, good or bad. So talk to us about how your life journey, the whole journey, kind of has set you set you up for your life today. Oh my goodness, very philosophical question. So I think you know my my life journey now that I look back, uh, because I have a lot to look back at, has always been about building bridges. You know, I am from Spain, but I'm Basque. So this this part of Spain that is not Spain, not France in between uh, with uh, a lot of very different uh, opinions about what being Basque is or and, and, you know, I always felt that I'm always, you know, the devil's advocate and always trying to to bring very opposed positions. Um, and. That's one of the reasons why maybe I speak a lot of languages because, you know, that that's a part, right, of understanding different cultures. And one of the reasons why my first job was in, in Singapore and uh, Singapore itself is, is also a melting pot of very different cultures. And uh, they have all kinds of national days for all of their communities. So, um, you know, it was a, a great first opportunity for me to dig into more multiculturality and and really build those bridges even bigger. When I started with Citigroup, they asked me to be a project manager for Latin America while I was in Singapore, so bridging continents. And then, you know, I guess when I started in, in the venture world and in the startup world was, you know, because I felt that in big corporations, I was not having enough impact. And mm. I felt like, you know, I'm only yet another small piece of the whole machinery and I don't feel like, you know, I'm, I'm doing enough. That's when I decided to go to London Business School, which of course is one of the most international MBAs you can do. Yeah. And then my exchange program in Berkeley, Go Bears, that's where I discovered Silicon Valley and that forever changed me because I'm like, all the impact in the world can be created through entrepreneurship. And that's, that's when everything changed and I was uh, uh, hired to to run a, an incubator and a fund in the French Riviera, again, a place where you have a lot of international people. And when I moved to, to Houston uh, 13 years ago, I, I tried to bridge that bridge also in terms of, you know, all my learnings in Europe and Asia yeah. and bringing them to Texas and, and the U.S. where it's everything is so local, you know. Especially in the biggest cities, right? The cities totally. become like, like city states in some ways. 
for me, um, being where I'm from and 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 being in Singapore, where you know you are in in a in a carrefour of of nationalities and countries in Europe, in half an hour you're in three different countries, and suddenly you get to Texas. Texas is four times bigger than Spain, uh, <laughs> and 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 nobody thinks international. Um, you know, they don't. I I ran the Houston Angel Network for five years. Nobody was interested in investing abroad. It's like, why should we, right? So suddenly I had to develop uh, other skill sets, but also I started figuring out other gaps that, of course, were already very dear to my heart, but were kind of amplified in in Texas. One of them is, of course, the gender gap in investing. Um, uh, I became a Kaufman Fellow when when I moved to to the U.S. I wanted to make sure I was still nurturing my network uh, in the VC world and wherever I went. So, and then I decided to dig further into the gender gap in investing and I created my end of fellowship project in in that. And that's how I met Trish Costello and we started doing portfolio funds together. And then, you know, I also became a minority. I mean, suddenly from Spain and a citizen of the world, I was like, oh, you're you're Latinx, you're Hispanic, and you know, there's a big Hispanic community here, and you know, and then I'm like, oh, it looks like I I am a minority now, right? And I started seeing yet the the other big gap, the the, the race gap that you know a lot of underrepresented founders uh, face, and and I got really interested in that, and then of course because I came to the energy capital of the world, that was when I got here was the oil and gas capital of the world. I'm like, wow, this is. This is a lot of oil. So, you know, coming from Spain, where we have a lot of renewable energy companies and we do a lot of hydroelectric, solar, wind. I was like, wow, this is interesting. For you went to, you, uh, to use a terrible right religious reference, right? You went to like the Mecca of one of the industries which you're most interested in doing better than. Totally. Right. So like, so like, you like, yeah, it would be like, I'm not really interested in religion. And then, oh, I wind up living in Mecca. Yeah, totally. So my, my angels in, in Europe, my business angels would say like, oh, you're going from the French Riviera to the oil Riviera. <laughs> but I knew that Houston was, uh, again, extremely international, extremely cosmopolitan, the most diverse city in the U.S., and that's what matters to me at the end yeah. uh, is, 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 is people and what we can build together. So I realized that also when you go to those pivotal moments that we talk about when, when you decide, like, is, is this the right fit for me? I remember we met after I decided to leave the Houston Angel Network because, you know, I felt like the, our values uh, were, were going in a different place. And, yeah. and I felt more and more strongly about diversity. And investing through that diversity lens, uh, I also felt more and more strongly about about climate. I I have two small kids, and I want to make sure that we leave them a, a habitable place. Right. And what you can do to change this industry from within. So, all of that led me to not only continue with portfolio doing funds that are mainly investing in in diversity by diverse investors, activating more diverse investors but also to be employee number one for Greentown Labs, which is the biggest Mm. climate tech incubator in North America that was uh, funded and based in Boston and wanted to expand to Houston, which for some was a terrible idea. And they thought that, you know, it would never actually work. Uh, But again... Take take change to the belly of the beast, right? Yeah, and I decided to to take that challenge on. 
Uh, also because, you know, I felt at that part of my career, uh, when I look backwards, I felt that a lot of my career was about me trying to fit in mm. either in the banking world or in the venture world as a woman or or in Texas um, and do whatever they were doing there. And I'm like, you know, I think the, the U.S. is a place where you can create new initiatives, you can reinvent yourself and you can take matters into your own hands. And that's why initiatives like Portfolio or like Rintan Labs are very appealing to me because, you know, you, you create things from scratch, but... Yeah. Uh, they they become and they take a life of on their own because there's there's enough people who want to support them. Yeah, there's so much to unpack there. Um, you hit on some themes that that I have curious questions about, thoughts about. Right, so it's almost like, and I've felt this about you since we've known each other. You're one of those people, and there are, there are many people like this out there. So you are unique, but in in the broadest sense. I don't want to over be overly dramatic, right? You're not like the, the only person on the planet to be this, but you are you you are kind of a walking embodiment of the things that you work on and the things that you're passionate about. Like so, you, like you live your life aligned with the work you do um, on a daily basis. If anybody was to meet you, as I did, um, or was to you know get to know you over time, as I have, like they see that. It's one of the things that is kind of electric about you is is you're very obviously aligned with those things. And if you were someone who, say, had a variety of different opinions about those things that you do, then we're probably just going to pass like ships in the night and that's okay, right? Mm -hmm. But but if you're someone like myself who, who shares almost all of your beliefs and passions, then, you know, it becomes an instant connection. So that that's awesome. So one of the things you talked about, two of the themes I was going to ask you kind of talk about a little bit about some of the things that are important to you today and you hit on them right so you hit on multi multiculturalism right and how that feeds diversity let's attach that to like diversity and inclusiveness slash equality mm-hmm. um equity those are those are independent words we squish them all together nowadays and i think when we do so we do each of them in injustice because we just kind of run Agreed. past them Agreed. right so let, let's unpack those a little bit right mm-hmm. like so your your passion if i heard you correctly right you're you're deeply climate and building Trying to build new ways to maintain a habitable planet is important to you. Multicultural, diverse communities are important to you. Equity and access of equity or access of equality opportunity is important to you, both in general and in this world of investing private capital. Let's pick apart any of those that you want to talk about, right? I mean, let's just go through them all. But where where do you want to start? To me, I'll, I'll give you this little anecdote. So a really good friend of mine who was on the show six months ago or so was really deeply involved in the climate world and works with big brands. Her name is uh, Asher J. And she works with big, huge corporate brands on trying to help them truly transform their businesses to become more climate sensitive and, and engaged. And she and I were texting this morning and she posted something funny. And it was about like, you know, we're trying to save the planet. And I said, I was like, yeah, see, that's what I hate about like the climate deniers when I say like we got to save the planet, the climate denier jumps in and says, "Oh, the planet, the planet's fine. Like the planet's been around for ten million years; it's going to be around for a hundred million years." And 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 right. And I'm like, "Yeah," because the truth is, we're not really trying to save the planet. What we're you said it. I want to leave a habitable planet for my children, right? So so to me, I'm curious how you feel about this. I say that like basically we just marketed environmental movements and climate and, you know, technology and climate tech and all, we, we marketed it badly because we're not really trying to save the planet. 
Like, cause the rock will exist for a hundred million years beyond us. We're trying to save our species yep. and, and our ability to live on this planet. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so talk about that, right. Cause you, now you lead a place that is very like product driven and innovation driven. And yeah. this is the new technology that we're in- inventing to do this. But am I, am I right? Am I wrong in this sense that like we, we have an opportunity to message it differently? So I, I've studied economics and, and, and finance and, and business, right? And, and I never realized how much I actually use it in my day-to-day basis, but to frame my way of thinking. And I think the biggest problems that the world has, and, and you know, it is the survival of our species because, yes, the planet is going to stay here when we are suffocating and we can't further breathe or exist here because we, we will be too hot. It's a matter of thinking in systems, you know, mm. problems that are bigger than what we see and thinking in terms of incentives and why the actions we do do not correspond to the result we want because we are not aligned, right? The global warming problem is a problem that is goes beyond boundaries. And that means that anything that is done in other country can affect tremendously your country, but also anything that past generations do, you're going to inherit, right? And how how do you create systems in place for global problems that actually work to deactivate the causes and Mm -hmm. work on the effects, right? And, And we're talking about international incentives, so we can talk about rules and regulations, price of carbon, taxation, how do you prevent people who say like, you know, I have 20 more years to leave. What do I care about global warming? And then right. I'm going to go, how do you put incentives in, in terms of working towards long-term goals that are intergenerational instead of just focusing on your short-term ROI, right? And there's yeah. plenty, plenty of systemic thinking that needs to take place. A lot of it is about economics and how you reward one behavior. Sometimes when you create systems of carrots and sticks in either taxes or, or laws, sometimes you get an unintended side effect. All of these things are so interrelated. Yeah. And for me, that is what I think a lot when I think about climate when you get the perfect, like the, the trifecta where you have environmental impact, intergenerational social impact, and then you have the economic side of things that can only be enabled by technology. Uh, okay. So that was going to be my next question was, tell me kind of in that, in that matrix of private, public, innovative, private capital, government, and policy, in that matrix of realities that is required for us to attack these problems, where does a Greentown Labs, or in our case here in Los Angeles, we have a, an organization called LACI, LA Clean Tech Incubator. Where did those private investment innovation institutions fit in this matrix? I really believe that right now technology is at a point where the economics for a lot of cleaner technologies to become the norm are not there yet. We hit a, a cab when, you know, we, we had the new way of, of creating solar panels with silicon chips and all of that, that made solar a lot cheaper and getting those competitive prices that we needed. A lot of the technologies that are 
most probably going to use be used to decarbonize the world, like hydrogen and, and many others, are not there yet. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of hope in the hydrogen market, in the in the carbon to value market where we can capture a CO2 and make it as a feedstock for other products. But still, the economics are not there. So there's two ways of, of getting those economics, either artificially putting prices of carbon that, you know, are going to make for subsidies, for carbon trading, for all of that, or trying to make sure that these technologies that are still incipient get to the scale of phase where, you know, everything makes sense and we can put the price of hydrogen down because there's new ways of producing cheaper and greener hydrogen, for example. So that's why, you know, now we have a huge trade-off because we need to choose between a green premium or subsidizing economies or, or doing the you know, the energy security that is like produce energy with whatever you have. And and that is also, I think only a few of us have the luxury of deciding whether we want to go green in terms of our sources of energy, our sources of food and everything. But that's a problem that is, is, is not a third world problem. No. Energy security with people here in the U.S. that are in underrepresented communities, they don't have the luxury of say like, I want to pay a green premium for my energy. Right. I survive a day to day, right? So I think sometimes a lot of these activist groups don't see that. Don't see like this is a problem that you can afford to have. Yeah, we've I've heard it talked about a lot here at different events that I've been privy to, and I'm by I'm not even remotely an expert or even conversant in these topics, but they talk about you know like EV cars. So electric vehicles are awesome, but like electric vehicles aren't the solution to climate problems or getting carbon out of the atmosphere or reducing CO2 emissions from car- like, yes, it's a part of it, but, and I have some public transit friends because mm-hmm. I, I don't own a car and I walk everywhere and I take public transit. And so I have some co- public transit friends who are always like, Hey, you want to, you want to create like the best, coolest new way to move people around a city with a low to no carbon in- footprint. It's subways or it's, but it's, you know, it's natural gas buses. And I'm like, Oh yeah, we already have it. So then we, we jump right back from like private innovation that you're talking about to public infrastructure as a, as a mechanism, as a policy mechanism for improving our communities. Uh, b- before we talk about private, public and, and the role of each of them, I want to make sure and, and I'm going to plug one of my friends uh, who's actually a Greentown Houston advisory board member, Michael Skelly, and his book, Superpower, actually was not written by him, but the book is about him his, and his life. When you read his, the, the book, Superpower, you realize, and sometimes I think when, when you put the light on, it's like when you have ketchup, right? It's like, where does the ketchup come from? Where does the light come from? And, and you know, when you read that book, you realize that when you start having electricity, it's because somewhere further, and every time it's further away, they're burning something for you to get that electricity. So that clean that you see because you don't have the fumes in your own house like in the past, they're still fuming somewhere. And uh, in general, they're fuming around underrepresented communities. Yeah. So when we talk about EVs in places like Colorado, where everybody's like EV, 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 I mean, how much of this electricity still comes from burning stuff? Yeah. So you can have a huge float of EV around Denver and only have EV and say like, oh, we are the cleanest ever. But if the electricity still comes from burning fuels, we're only pushing the problem away in the value chain. And because I 
I think a lot about systems and where it all begins and right. how. That's, what, that's why know. this is like a particular interesting question for me to discuss with you because you're you're pronounced okay. This is a systems problem, right? This is an interconnected, long term, multi generational mm-hmm. systems problem, and that's not how we talk about it very often. Like that's in the, the thing. Pri- as investors, as founders, yeah. as investors, or even as politicians, we don't talk about that that like kind of view so that's is an important lens to look yeah, at yeah if, if you talk about teslas the, the, most of them have been you know manufacturing in china and china you know now they're, they're, they're getting a lot greener but you know most most of the electricity there comes from coal you yeah. know so so if you put all that carbon footprint into your minus uh, of, of your carbon accounting yes maybe you're saving on electricity because you're riding a, an EV, but then where where does the manufacturing of the EV come from? Where does uh, the electricity that is yeah. fueling the EV come from? Right. So all of this, and and some people don't want to talk about that because it's like right. It's like no, no, no. I made a huge effort. That suddenly makes it feel like we're never going to solve this if you talk about that. Then that's the real yeah. complexity here, right? Totally. Okay, so one of the. Additional threads I want to pull on, it's the underrepresented, underserved communities that get the brunt of the inability to change their transportation habits or their energy consumption habits because it's the luxury premium green approach just isn't available to them, right? And and that's not just important in climate, which is, you highlighted, but it's also important in, in private capital. Right. It's also important. It's important in the work that you do on a daily basis as an angel investor. It's important in your community inside of Kaufman. It's important inside of your work in portfolio. So let's talk about that. Like, I think, my opinion, I think the current way we do like venture capital is broken. Right. And I think it's broken because largely we're 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 diminishing or ignoring 50% of the population in women and a massive portion of the population in people of color in underrepresented communities. So talk about your work maybe inside of Portfolia and how Portfolia has been so, is so focused on empowering women, empowering LGBT communities and investors, founders of color. Talk about that with transition from the climate to this part of the world solution. Totally. So um, I, I met uh, Trish Costello, who's the founder of Portfolia at a Kaufman Fellows event. Actually, Trish was uh, the founding CEO for the Kaufman Fellows program because that was an initiative that came out of the Kaufman Foundation. And she actually put it together because she was working at the Kaufman when that happened. So she knows firsthand venture capital. She knows uh, firsthand the, the leadership that the fellows have had in the venture capital world. And she saw Portfolio as an opportunity to transform that that leadership into a more diversity crowd of investors. And I really see Portfolio, of course, as a platform of funds that get a very nice return. So, you know, we are a VC firm, definitely, but we are more than that. We are a movement empowering women and diverse people to put the money where their mouth is and to create the impact they want to see in the world. So, while we started with a pretty clear educational approach to everything we do, very inclusive, uh, where most of our investors have like the potential to invest 
very little ticket sizes for a VC firm. And we're talking about 10K. Sometimes we do the exception of 5K. We've figured out ways of you to get into the funds, even if you're not an accredited investor through other instruments that we have. So very, very inclusive there. And then very inclusive in, in the educational part. So we activate investors who've never invested in early stage before by educating them, but also by letting them see what's behind the VC halo of mystery, right? How we do yeah. the pitch sessions, how they, they, they're part of, of that. The LPs can, can log in. They can be part of the due diligence process of the negotiation. They see the questions we ask. They vote for the deals we see. Although the five leads will take the final decision, we look very carefully about the feedback our LPs, our investors give. So, and then we started with generalist funds, and then we started seeing areas of opportunities. We were the first fund ever to have a femtech focused fund, and now we are at Femtech 3. We are fundraising for Femtech 3. Oh, wow. Women's health is something that a lot of investors don't talk about because, you know, they are not the customers of that. They are not impacted by that. So having products for menopause, for, you know, all kinds of, of cancers that affect women more, like, like breast cancer and others. Active aging is another fund that we're doing a second fund on, you know, because of course women live a lot longer than men. And what does it mean for the products that we need uh, to have, you know, a good quality aging? And of course, I would say that the star of all these funds, uh, you have greener sustainability, food and ag, the one that I'm most proud of because I'm part of it is, is Rising America 1 and 2. Uh, we just finished uh, Rising America 2. We're starting to fundraise for Rising America 3. Rising America 1 has been by far the, the best results that we had in a fund, a top quartile for, for VC funds. And we invest in uh, underrepresented founders, but also in companies that are somehow bridging that gap. You know, yeah. the gap in financial gap, educational gap, wealth gap in, in underrepresented communities. Uh, and it's been super, super successful. It's also the first fund, VC fund, that is led by five women of color. So three African-American uh, women and uh, Nora May Cadena uh, and myself are representing the Hispanic community. And we are super, super proud of that. We just got an award from, I think, two years in a row from Angeles Investors. I went to nice. Chicago to receive it on behalf of, of Portfolia. And uh, we were really impacting a lot, the, both the, the African-American and the Latino communities with, with these investments. That's incredible. I, it's, it's, and again, such a series of themes here, right? So how do we work on keeping the planet more inhabitable, like longer, right, is, is focus on solutions that serve everybody, right? So focus on all cultures, all ethnicities, all neighborhoods, all economic backgrounds. How do we increase and improve private capital, access to private capital, and then how private capital gets distributed? And then therefore, how do we improve the, the entrepreneurial economy and strengthen the entrepreneurial economies of our communities? invest in more people of color, invest in all the communities, invest in all the ethnicities, invest in all the economic backgrounds, right? So so it's interesting. You have two things that people could say are like wildly different, right? I'm focused on private capital and investing as a profession, and I'm focused on the climate, right? And the environment. And yet the reasons that you do them, your whys, are really super aligned. So. A couple of things, uh, the biggest victims of, of climate change 
which is not only a climate crisis, it's a health crisis, right? Temperatures raise and microbes that have been dormant uh, for <laughs> millennia are jumping into the atmosphere and then we're having weirder and weirder, uh, you know, viruses and, and all of that. That is also a consequence of climate change. But also, you know, underrepresented communities are, are the victims of, of climate change. I mean, are at the forefront but also, I think it's where the solution lies. You know, I think innovation always happens at the intersection of things. Uh, happens when you think outside the box and when you involve more people who have different frame of minds. And when you involve underrepresented communities, there's different lenses that open up. Yeah, they are also the ones closer to their pro- to those problems. So sometimes they might be also closer to the solution. Yeah, And I really believe that we can only solve those big issues if we involve them as part of the solution. 100% true. And I think a lot of what I do is about enabling, enabling mm-hmm. these people and providing them with the tools to make a difference. And sometimes difference is not about a lot of money. Every little thing has impact. Every little thing. And I think that's where a lot of people hide behind, like, why should I not drive my big car and walk, you know, that's not going to do anything to the big schemes of things, you know. But if you start adding these little things into a huge population, everything moves the needle, right? And and this enablement, this empowerment to make sure everybody starts having a say and taking matters into their own hands, because I think a lot of people are very benefited from playing the victim role. Mm in everything like oh i can do it because i'm a woman in investing oh no you know i'll never fundraise because i am an underrepresented community or oh we'll never get to more diverse portfolio because there's not a, enough pipeline when it's pretty clear that is an, a network problem there's not a right. pipeline problem of, of deals or of diverse investors that's that's not the case but a lot of people take that mentality it's like oh you know this is a systemic problem there's nothing i can do and and i'm here to show the tools for everybody and make sure that everybody feels empowered and energized by by doing whatever they can do because everything matters yeah i I think it's i think about this oftentimes you know i'm very much of a kind of long-term thinker and i think sometimes that victim angle is as much like a, I'm throwing up my hands because if I'm really, if again, almost like we talked about the climate, if I'm really, really honest about the complexities of these problems that are presenting themselves, like, whoosh, they could be overwhelming, right? Like the, 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 they're very complex. These are not easy. Like, well, if four of us just got together and signed a petition, everything will be better. Or if, if we just tweeted a lot, like someone's going to change the law and it'll all magically, like, that's just not, these problems are, I was talking U.S. economics with someone this morning, and I and I was like, "Well, if you really want to talk about the the root of the problem, you have to go back to the 1980s, right?" And this this young woman was born in the late 90s, right? And so it was like, that's literally like that might as well have been you know the Civil War to her, right? I, and I'm like, "Oh well, no, but that was within my lifetime." And and although I was a kid pre 80s, I can tell you how the how I've seen the shift, right? And so some of these times, I think I'm, I'm with you. I agree. Like it's and I, I'll use myself just as a small example, not as anything particularly special, but like just the fact that I live the lifestyle that I live here in Los Angeles, which again is a very specific choice to live 
my way in this city, moving around on public transit or walking, and then filling in occasionally with micro mobility like scooters or with Ubers and Lyfts when I have to. Like, I constantly am asked by people when I reference a story or I'm in the back of an Uber or I meet someone who's never taken the subway and I explain how I live. And then they're like, huh, I mean, I guess I could do that. I could try that. I, maybe I could like, maybe we could like, walk a little bit more. So, so, and again, not singling me out as, as the example, just more about like the example that just like you do in your work. Like if you, if you just set it aside and say, I don't have to solve the entire planet's problem by myself, which would stop me from ever trying. But I can I can make choices that could be examples to other people that you can live a more sustainable life or that you could invest in in more people of color or that you could co-invest with with in you know other venture capitalists who are women or or women from you know historically underrepresented ethnic groups. And like if you just do it. So again, you know, I, I think a lot about economics and I I'm I'm the kind of person who really goes to sleep at night and thinks about these big problems and how to try to solve them, right? Yeah, I, I no, try. I mean, at least I I, I, I try to, to capture the, the size of the problem and, and start thinking about it. There was something posted on LinkedIn about less than a year ago that has like really stuck with me big time. And it's zero exponential. I don't know. It was like 300 or something or a thousand or something. It's zero 0.00001 exponential, the same amount. And it was like a very sizable number, right? Yeah. So, so the impact of a minimal thing, if you put it in exponential numbers, yeah. which is, you know, what you can do with AI or you can do with a lot of population or you can do with a lot of years by compounding things like money or suddenly the impact is, is huge. Yep. But if you see it in terms of like what is zero compared to zero point zero 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 one, yes, <laughs> it's still like nothing. But a minimum thing when it's compounded, you know, has a huge impact. So I think that is one of the reasons why people should not hide against like, oh, this problem is too big to me. It's yeah. not going to matter. It's not going to make a difference. Or I'm a victim, so you know, I'm going to you know, leaning and, and, and who cares, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I always, I always say, I'm just going to, I'm going to post about it, tweet about it, complain about it, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to make the effort to like be part of the solution. Personally, I don't have a lot of, a lot of space in my life for those people. <laughs> All right. So before we, before we go to our, our, our favorite segment at the end, I want to, I want to ask you a couple examples because you, you've referenced, you've referenced your friend's book, the story that we should superpower that we will all, we'll list that in the show notes, but Give me some specifics. Give me two or three specifics of either projects or companies or initiatives, pr things that you're involved in that you're super excited about right now that, that, you, that we should know about. Okay. So I'm very excited that finally with this initiative that I'm going to tell you about, Malaika Ventures, I'm finally merging two of my passions. Uh, you know, I feel like I've lived parallel lives where I have climate on one side and then diversity and inclusion in other. And, and with my Leica, I mean, I, I try to bring, of course, a lot of D&I work to Greentown and, and, you know, there's, there's a Greener Sustainability Fund at Portfolio, but, you know, Malika is really the intersection of both. 
that came up when uh, at Greentown we we started working with Brown in the Green Space, which is a nonprofit oh, okay. uh, based in Massachusetts, uh, Kerry Bowie, and we created a joint program called Excel. So it's an acceleration program for underrepresented founders in in climate, and then. You know, the next question always comes in is like, okay, now that we're getting these great entrepreneurs investment ready, where's the investment? Right. Right. And that's when we decided to double down and and create Malika and we're fundraising for that. And it's the first time where, you know, both of of my passion really intersect in in a big way. And we're talking about climate equity, environmental justice and and all that. So very, very excited about that. We were fundraising for that, um, malaykaventures.com. Of course, you know, portfolio again. We're we're doing great. We're with with uh, we're raising our our third fund for Rising America Three, but there's others that are open. As uh, I mentioned, Femtech Three, Active Aging Two, uh, Green and Sustainability still open. And just you know, portfolio does a lot of uh, educational calls that are open to anyone. So you don't awesome. need to be or want to be an investor, or if you're not a creative investor, you can still join. There's a lot of events that are going to happen now in different cities. Uh, so go to Portfolio.co and, and check it out because there's a lot to be learned there. And in the Greentown side of things, of course, we, we are getting to our biggest year event. Uh, you know, uh, it's our Climate Tech Summit, November 1st and November 2nd. November 1st in Houston, November 2nd in Boston. But it's all fully streamed. And last year, we got around 38 different countries and more than 2,000 people logging in. And we're going to have great speakers and, and all that. So I'm, I'm always excited because there's plenty of great ideas and initiatives coming out of that. That's incredible. How uh, personal question just for me, because I'm curious and I have you and it's my show so I can ask whatever I want. Um, how, are, how are my two favorite little Houstonians? Oh my, what can I say? Uh, changing the world uh, one uh, one step at a time. So Iker is into chess right now. So um, okay. we spoke about chess a little bit in, in the yeah, show. Right. Totally hooked on that, uh, doing, uh, you know, he he did it in, in the summer and he's continuing this this year and he's into a lot of tournaments and all that. Wow, awesome. He's the next the next Bobby Fisher. Yeah, totally. And Alaya is into soccer, which you know, the Spanish Uh-oh, team. Watch out. Here we go. She watched she watched the World Cup this summer and now she's she inspired. Did. She did. And of course it's perfect because the US team won the previous one, the Spanish team won. Right. Spain Spain was all of it was all about Spain this summer. Yes, yes. Uh, for all the the good and bad reasons. And then she's also into singing. She's doing a little bit of choir. So that, okay. those are the two things that she's picked up this this year. So a lot of fun. That's awesome. And you and you can you can pass along to your husband that the next time he comes to LA because he's desperate for tacos. I found us a new taco. <laughs> I found I found us a new taco spot on my walks that I can take him to. So now uh, Alaya is singing. It's raining tacos. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. I, for the audience background, I had the good fortune to hang out with the family this uh, earlier this year, spring, uh, when they came out to LA for a day and we wandered around and just, it was awesome. So I adopted her little kids. I became T.O. Rob to this to this extra family. So one of my very good friends is moving to LA. Uh, so I want to make sure you you get introduced. Please, 100%. I love it. We're, and, we, and I've got a new taco place for us. So that's awesome.
All right, so let's let's take us to the to the final segment of the show. I'm going to turn you into the mentor for the day. So all I ask of you is that you give three specific pieces of advice. The goal is that people listen to the show and they are not only inspired by your human story, but that they have some takeaways that they can apply into their business or their lives. And so if you could give us three bits of wisdom about anything that we've talked about or anything you want to share, I would love that. Okay, so I'm I'm going to try to be, you know, uh, a little contrarian because that's that's who I am, trying to bring a, a little bit of spice in into my mentoring pearls of wisdom. I love that. And and the two first ones, I mean, go and apply to everyone, but I think mainly for women more than anything. First is uh, don't be a perfectionist. I think you know perfection, and we put so much pressure on everything we do as women. You know kills everything, you know, because we are so hard on ourselves and I'm very okay with being uh, mediocre at a lot of things I do because I want to do more things. And I, I think, you know, it's been, uh, and some people have called me up and on that saying like, oh, you know, you need to excel at something. And I'm like, I get it. And that was maybe the, the, the world in the past, but I think now that we have to tackle very different problems uh, that touch a lot of areas is good to know a little bit about all of that. And, you know, being a generalist has been underrated. And I think it is the way to go for many of the problems we, we have that touch a lot of different senses. I, I think I think the next century is crying out for like a renaissance of the generalist. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad you, you agree. So, so, yes, embrace your non-perfectionism or be okay with with dropping the ball sometimes um, because there's a huge opportunity cost and again there's the law of diminishing returns i'm back to <laughs> economics right uh, there's some point where it's not optimum to be uh, you know a master at, at everything and the opportunity cost of, of letting go of, of other things so embrace generalism try to exposed to different things that may not have to do with with your sector of of you know work or or hobbies and uh, and the last one take matters into your own hands don't play the victim right there's always something you can do uh so when you play the victim what you do is you let go of control and there's nothing worse than letting go of control because if you control your own life that's when you can make a, a big change 100% agree. That is awesome advice. And so specifically applicable to many of the like professional business topics we discussed, but also, as you say, like just generally applicable to, to live a balanced, sustainable life uh, as a human, which is, is very much you, not surprising. So thank you. Um, all right. So you mentioned the fund, but, and portfolio, like, let's do the quick rundown on where do we find you on social media and, or what are the websites again, that people can find you and reach out. Sure. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, I, I'm trying to to answer to all of the inbound, but sometimes, you know, bear with me uh, and nudge me more than once uh, because there's a, there's a lot of spam there. So Juliana Garaisar in, in LinkedIn. Then, of course, I mentioned greentownlabs.com, portfolio.com, malikeadventures.com, all the good ones. There we go. It's a pleasure. Um, I, I miss you whenever we have these conversations. I always end feeling like, Damn it! I wish I could like go see her on Saturday and have another conversation, right? Because you're you're just such a positive part of my life. So thank you to Chihuahua and 2018 for the serendipity of that. But also just thanks for coming on the show. Like I, I I'm glad that we had an opportunity to share this conversation with a broader audience. And you know that I'm really passionate about this show and building these bridges conversationally 
and highlighting the stories of maybe people that don't always get their stories highlighted. Um, and so thanks for thanks for helping me uh, live out my dreams. Well, you know, I, I always feel like with good friends, it's like time is standstill, you know, and uh, and every time I see you, I feel like, you know, I've never left our conversation and it hasn't been so long since we haven't seen one another. But, you know, hopefully we'll 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 see each other soon, if not in L.A. or, or Houston, maybe again on a podcast or through through chat. We, we chat quite a lot. So awesome. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. As always, we thank you so much for listening. Today's show was recorded in Los Angeles and produced by Deanna Bernal in Mexico City. You can always find, like, follow, subscribe, and share our show via any popular podcasting platform, as well as find us on social media at Mentors Today. And if you'd like to connect with our host, you can find Rob at I am Rob Ryan on just about any social media platform. Gracias and thank you.